when there's a big crash or a big economic financial crisis, there will be also great opportunities for you too. You have to find your gifts, improve your skills for the tough times. Because if you have good skills, people skills, and also some skills, you can survive. It's always half and half. Welcome to the Dr. Espen podcast, where we explore the latest in quantum science, personal development, consciousness, and spirituality, health, as well as business and money mastery. Join me as I interview experts from all over the world, sharing the most incredible stories of transformation. This is where we provide you with the exact tools and coaching activities you need to expand your consciousness in each of the eight areas of your life. For more info on our events, programs, coaching, etc., go to drspen.com for the full quantum experience. Welcome back to the Dr. Espen podcast. I'm Espen. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Ken Honda, all the way from Japan. Ken Honda is a best-selling self-development author out of Japan. If you have not heard about Ken Honda or read the book, Happy Money, you must have been living under a rock somewhere. So be excited because today we're going to talk about how to unpack financial mastery and not just financial mastery, but also how to have a beautiful relationship, a happy, conscious relationship with money. Ken Honda's book, Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money, Simon & Schuster 2019, has created a worldwide attention with over 8 million copies sold so far. Ken studied law at Waseda University in Tokyo and entered the Japanese workforce as a consultant and investor. His expertise is phenomenal. He owns and runs an accounting company, a management consulting firm, venture capital corporation, and the list goes on and on and on. Ken actually became the first person out of Japan to be voted into the Transformational Leadership Council for his work in the personal and professional development space. He's fluent in English, Japanese, Spanish. He used to live in Boston, Massachusetts, and now currently resides and coming to us live today from Tokyo, Japan. Again, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you this morning? Thank you so much. Aspen, I'm so honored to be here. Australia is one of my favorite countries, and I always wanted to go there last year. Finally, I went there after 50 years of my dream, my my came to last year. Oh, wonderful. Well, we'd love to have you back anytime. Absolutely come. And if you do, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see you on the stage or see something of you in person as well. But today, I really want to pick your brain, buddy, because what you've written in terms of happy money, I've read the book twice. I'm listening to the audio book. Oh, it's phenomenal. And and I think this is really important in today's society because I think a lot of people, from my experience with my patients and students, they still, even though they have enough money to live, to survive, put a roof over their head, there still seems to be a massive stressful factor or a fearful energy around money for many people, not for everybody, but for many people. So I want to start with the first question, Ken. What's the difference between happy money and unhappy money. So I found that there are two kinds of people, happy people and unhappy people. And it doesn't really matter how much money you have or how much you make. It's about your attitude. So happy money is money that makes you smile when you receive it. And also when you spend it, it brings you joy. On the other hand, 95% of us are living in the flow of unhappy money, which means when we get a check 
or when we see a bank online bank account and statement, we feel ooh frustrated. You know, I don't know if I can just pay everything at the end of every month. And also, when we spend money, we feel squeezed, frustrated, and sometimes upset, and sometimes depressed. It's because we don't have a good relationship with money. So, if you're having a beautiful relationship, healthy relationship, peaceful relationship, your money is happy money. Okay, this makes a lot of sense. Now, how would one know? Is it the feeling that you can sense if you have a beautiful relationship with money, happy or unhappy? How would one know? So I always ask people this question: If money was a person, what would it be? If you think of a friendly person, very kind, open-hearted, then your money is happy money. And if you think、uh, money could be cold, like a silk hat with an assassin, you know, type of person, or mean, and then your money is unhappy. It's just、uh, your attitude. So when you think of money. Does it make you feel warm, happy, open, or you feel squeezed? The money is neutral, but it's your attitude toward money that makes a difference. This makes a lot of sense. And so, for the listeners and viewers out there now, perhaps take this opportunity to define in your own mind how you feel around money. Do you feel like it's a beautiful, a conscious, loving relationship, an abundant type relationship, or do you feel like it is, as Ken said, squeezed and challenging? And from there, we can begin the journey. To go from wherever we are into more happy money, and、uh, part of what I share in my curriculums, Ken, and I'd love your opinion on this, is、uh, has a lot to do with what's called the imprint period. You know, from the age of one to seven, when we're young, we learn from our parents. We basically form our beliefs,、uh, our thoughts, our emotions, and what we、um, see and experience of reality. And I know from my perspective, telling my own story quickly, my mother and father were both not very happy. In regards to money, and it was always scarce, and it was always a challenge or lack thereof. You know, lack of money. And then what happened when I got into my early twenties,、um, working really, really hard, being very good at what I did, but I ended up being one hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars in debt. And it wasn't until many years later that I realized that it wasn't for a lack of effort. It wasn't for a lack of skills. It was because the energy inside of me, or the programming inside of me. Uh, was that of money equals scarcity and contraction rather than love and abundance? What are your thoughts on、um, how we're raised and and what role that might play in in our current relationship to money? Yes, it's always anything. If it's friendship, if your parents have a lot of friends, you think having a lot of friends is is a normal thing. If your parents have no friends, like my family. They never invited their friends over at their house, but my family, lots of people on a dinner table. So having a lots of friends was normal in that house. A lot of your parents' friends are normal. The same thing. If you have a lot of money, happy money, it's natural for you to think like having a lots of money in your house is normal. So your upbringing is very important, but that doesn't set your destiny. Because you can always change it by changing your attitude toward money, and then if you start thinking after your twenty, you have to be responsible and accountable for your beliefs. If money was bad, in your opinion, but that's your childhood memory, you can override it, and money can be happy, money can be friendly, and then you can have lots of happy money in your house. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what I man managed to do. I think this was seven plus years ago when I broke out of that mental prison and I started becoming abundant, became officially a millionaire at 33 and so on and so forth. And the reason why I speak to this, I think for me is really important is I didn't realize that I was in a relationship, an unhappy relationship with money. And like I said, it wasn't for a lack of skill and hard work. And I think this is kind of segues well into the next question, Ken, I'd love to know, because in your book also, you talk about how sometimes even wealthy people are in a unhappy relationship with money. So it's not just the amount of money, but it's also their relationship to it. Can you talk a little bit about that? So climbing a mountain, you know, you can climb your mountain alone. You can climb a mountain with your friends. In Africa, I'm saying one of my uh, favorite is, if you want to go fast, you should go alone. Mm. If you want to go further distance, you should go your, with your friends. So same thing applies. If you want to make money in a happy way, you can. If you want to make money in a hostile way, you can too. It's up to you. And if you can choose it, why do you do it the hard way? Why do you do it a frustrating way? Why do you do it in a, a cold, unkind way? You know, you can make a lot of money by doing what you love and by doing good to the society and, and like clients and customers and then receive money. Or you can uh, take advantage of uh, old people, for example, or you can take uh, advantage of other people and then you can make money. Uh, and the money is neutral. So we kind of hope good people wins. When money comes in, that means that they did something. So as a result, the money comes in. So please remember you have a choice. Either way, you can be wealthy. Absolutely agree. Okay, so second point, we can make a, a decision and a choice, and we can go from where we are into more abundance and a better relationship with money. So I want to talk about this myth of scarcity. Uh, I've read about this. You've spoken about this. What is this myth of scarcity? Why do you think so many people are conditioned to live in scarcity when we know that money literally, like energy, is limitless? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a good point. Because it's like a, a piece of cake. When we cut a piece of cake and then eat a piece of cake myself, somebody eat, somebody else will eat less. That's the idea. But when you think of it, when you look, take a look at economy, it's not how we function. Think of society where we make $50 and we spend $50. Everybody does that. Mm -hmm. And think about it when we make $5,000 every month and then spend $5,000, which society is more abundant? Of course, the more money we make and more money we spend, that is the, the volume of the economy. So the more we make, more we spend as a whole, we are prosperous financially. But somehow when we spend money, we feel like our bank account will be less. So we feel choked that, you know, oh, oh, oh my God, I, I have less money in the bank account. But think about it this way. If you just spend, say, $10 or 10 euros, you know, and then exchange for this beautiful glass, your money is less, but you gain something. Because we always exchange money with something. Mm -hmm. That means that we got something. We got electricity, we got internet service, we got a massage or clothes, whatever that is. We exchange our money with something. That means that there's a fair exchange. So we didn't lose anything, but we feel like we lost something. So that is like a misconception. So we have misunderstood so many things around money. That's why I feel the more we spend, the less we have. 
In fact, the more we spend, the more wealthy we become. Because、uh, think、mm-hmm. about it: with the money, we gain something. So once we got this idea, once we realize that spending money in a happy way is the shortcut for your abundance and happiness, and then you realize that living in this cold, suffocating world, it just comes from your scarcity mindset, and then the world doesn't function that way. I agree. This is interesting. So, where do we start? Do we have to decide to see the world and ourselves as abundant, as limitless? How does one go through these steps of recognizing wherever there might be listeners and viewers right now? Okay, good. I've got this relationship with money. It's scarce, or it's you know mediocre, or it's abundant. How does one go? What are the steps to now start to become、um, more conscious around money? Um, and experience money as something happy and beautiful. The first step would be arigato your money. And when you receive money, the money coming in. And if when you spend money, thank the money for staying with you. And then you can say bye bye, you know, goodbye money. See you soon. Hope you bring back your friends when、yes. you come. Yes, that's exactly what I say. Please come <laughs> back and bring all of your friends. <laughs> yes. And and then if your attitude is like that. It kind of wait, you know. It's like your friends, your best friends, you know, come out of a town far away, and then you spend a very good quality time and had had so much fun. And then when you just say goodbye, you know, come back soon. And then you have such a warm feeling. It's kind of a little bitter, sad, but you know, more happy feeling to just see your friends off. And then when your friends are coming back, you you know, opening both arms and just say, hey, come back. And then. You enjoy. So if your attitude is like that, you think money is fun、uh, because for a lot of people, money is a scary assassin or bad people. So if you let the person stay in your house, it could hurt you. You know because that's the experience we had. Wow, that's big. I just had a realization. Then for those people potentially out there thinking, feeling that money is scarce or not good or challenging or creating fear, having that money then as a friend in your house. Would not feel safe. That's a big one. Okay, okay, okay. So now we've got the the idea of who we are. We understand that money is limitless. We understand that we can live in a beautiful, happy relationship with money. We can see money as a long lost friend. Invite him or her in, and so on and so forth. And、um, how do we then segment from? Let's say that we are getting better at the psychology part, and then we move into the whole investment part. I know you've been an investor for many years. What are some of the tools and tricks that someone can begin to have money work for them, rather than them working, particularly from a scarcity mindset, for money? You know, I realized that wealthy people get paid so many times. For example, twenty years ago, I wrote national bestseller. I sold about two million copies, and it still prints about forty to sixty thousand copies a year. So that means, like, I wrote it、uh, when I was thirty-four or five. So. It's like twenty-two years ago. Young Ken Honda, my brother, is still sending me money, you know. And and also, I wrote a book ten years ago that's still selling. That means like my ten-year younger me, my little brother, is still sending me money. So I have like twenty brothers who are still working with me financially.、Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of people get paid only once if you work for a company. And if you spend、uh, a month, you get paid at the end of every month. And if you're self-employed people, you work and then、uh, send a, an invoice, and then you get paid the next month probably. So、uh, you get only paid once. 
So if you know how you have money work for you, like uh, buying real estate or stock, you get a dividend, you get uh, rent. Uh, that way, without uh, you physically working, you get money. So uh, wealthy people do uh, a few things, like you get paid from the past, and also you get paid from the uh, something that you own. So in other words, you're not solo. You have like four or five or sometimes 10 different people working for yourself. So if wealthy people have a totally different mindset, but if you're just working alone and working a single income, even though you make a lot of money, your expense will be high. So at the end of every month, you feel cringed because the more you make, the more you spend. That's a law because you have a better car, better house, better clothes, better cosmetic, better anything, you know, for guys, probably like a better fun gadgets, you know, golfing, the sticks are more expensive. It can be like a few hundred dollars, but could be like a few thousand dollars, right? And if you go on more and more, if you want more more quality, you have a titanium one, you know, you have a gold-plated one, and <laughs> the price is limitless. So, and then you, you want to have a helicopter, you want to have a private jet, the list goes on. So you have to really understand when is enough, how much is enough. Otherwise, you'll be lost in this game. Mm, okay, this is good. I remember this as well from reading some of your work. What is enough? When is it enough? And I think this is kind of an interesting question because if we do not define how much we want or what we're wanting to create, we will be in, on an endless loop of feeling like we don't have enough. So this this really resonates with me. You talked about different streams of income. You wrote several books in the past. They're paying you dividends or or you know revenue now. When we look at this in terms of having multiple streams of income, I know this is a really big thing. This was huge for me. I had one stream of income. I recognized when that job, you know, when I was on holiday, for example, that income dried up. And so I wanted to create multiple streams of income. You mentioned writing books, obviously having investments. You mentioned stocks and, and bonds and, as you mentioned, real estate. What would be some of the things that you think people could look at in general when it comes to diversifying their portfolio and also potentially and hopefully creating additional streams of income? Yeah, there are so many way, different ways. And uh, some people love real estate, some people love stocks, and some people love cryptocurrency. So it's more of your choice. But the thing is, 2024, there could be a big uh, potential turmoil about the financial market. You know, the real estate is going down in China, in Germany, of course, all of Europe, and also parts of US. Now, I don't know much about Australia, but some commercial real estate is hurting internationally. So, and we, we after the COVID, we just, all the com- governments kept printing more money. So we just put so much money into it. And for example, in North America, because of uh, all the support for people, American people had so much savings for two years, but all the savings run out in October. So that means that U.S. American people and public people, general public are short of cash in November. So for Christmas gift, they are buying everything on credit card. You know, uh, Unfortunately, among young people, credit card default rate is 8%. That means one out of 12 young people cannot pay their credit cards, which is serious. So next year, it's going to be very difficult, you know. 
Thank you for speaking to that. Can you beat me to it? I've been studying financial cycles and seasons for some years. I made a mistake of not knowing these seasons by, you know, the peak of the economy 2019 coming into 2020. Then we have the pandemic. And then I was caught off guard. I lost a half a million dollars in the first six months, probably faster. And I really struggled to recover. I needed to lay off a lot of my staff. Basically, I didn't trim the fat and downsize in the peak of the economy. I didn't arbitrage. I did what the consumer psychology would do. And now, having studied these seasons, I'd love to go a little bit deeper in this because I think you're absolutely right. With the quantitative easing that we've seen across the world, the artificial printing of money, the inflation of this bubble, it's my philosophy, my belief that you know exactly what you said, there's going to be something really big coming in 2024 in terms of, I mean, if you look at how, and and this may be different in Japan, but certainly in many countries, the, the definition of the word recession has been changed from two quarters in the negative to now being something different. So that technically, as far as I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, we are already in a recession, but we haven't called it that yet because I think they're whatever they're doing. So one, what are your thoughts on that? Two, how do we prepare? So, you know, it's tricky because people with low financial IQ cannot really listen to me. <laughs> so many years ago, I had a friendly chat and then he said, oh, what did you do? I bought this car because I sold this stock. And then our conversation went off for something else. And then a few weeks later, he just told me, I bought the same stock that you bought. That's going to make me a millionaire. No, wait a second. You know, I sold the stock and I made the money. So that means the peak of the, the stock is my judgment. And then if you buy the stock, even if you have the same thing, you're going to lose money. He ended up losing money. It's sort of my fault because I just told the information for people who, who don't have financial IQ. So you have to have a high financial IQ to understand what's going on. And also you have to have a high emotional intelligence with the money too. Because when I talk about cryptocurrency, people automatically think, okay, I should buy cryptocurrency now. You know, it could be a, a so high, so it could drop down, right? It's like American stocks. American stocks, are, for me, are at the top of the uh, height, which was like 1929. So when I talk about stocks, that people automatically think they should go in, but maybe it's time to get out. So if you do everything against the general public, you can usually win. So when everybody's buying, you should be getting out. When everybody's selling, you should be coming in. So that would be the law, but it's so too scary to buy when everybody's rushing out. And it's too scary to sell when everybody's buying, but that's a psychology. So you have to understand the very basics. And also usually the professionals make money and then regular people lose money. And I think that the, the, this coming potential crash a lot of professional people would lose money too because in their lifetime, professional lifetime, they've never seen it. You know, I remember Japan was going into a bubble economy and just crashed down. It, was, it happened in my early 20s so, and I'm in my late uh, 50s. That means if you are a regular guy in America, they've seen all the good side about the bubble. So you don't really know what's like in 1970s, you know when America was hit by a heavy recession. And also, you only know by as, as history in 1930s, right? Not many people are alive who knows that. 
My mentor who survived 1930s and 40s have told me like many years ago, like 30, 40 years ago, what, what it was like. And then my mentor who just, you know, success, successful investor who told me that all those horrible stories that their mentors told them when they were younger. So that means like in their 50s, 1950s and 60s, right? So unless you learn his, learn about history, you cannot uh, learn a lesson. Beautiful. History repeats itself. And human psychology often remains the same. I love what you said here in terms of the psychology of the market. And this is very important. And this is the key, particularly the EQ, the emotional intelligence side of things, because when they're scarcity in the market, right? So you have the three forces. You have fear, indecision, and greed, right? And this, it repeats itself. And so then if we look at the markets and we say, okay, good. Now the economy is booming. People then get cocky. They go and buy. And they buy when it's expensive because everyone is buying and it's a so-called good economy. And then the market comes down, their crypto, their asset, their real estate is worth less. So then they sell from scarcity. Now, my understanding and with the, the game that I've been playing, and I call it a game for a reason because, well, you know, it is, it is what it is. And so what I'm doing is the opposite. Like you, I'm unloading when the stocks are high. And I'm liquidating my position and staying liquid to be able to purchase. As I say, the wealthy go on, you know, go shopping when everything's on sale. So what would be some of the tools? And, you know, we're not giving financial advice here, but just from your experience with so many decades in this field, what would be your experience for the average person out there? You know, they're not a hugely wildly successful investor. They've got a decent relationship with money. They've got a job. They've got some assets. How would we now prepare for what is coming mentally, emotionally? And when it does arrive, let's say that, and you know, suddenly you see it on the news or the recessions here and they, they make it all sensationalized, right? You know, because it sells when it's fear and whatever. When and if we do hear something like that, what would be some of the tools that, that you would call upon to be able to be more equilibrated and or handle the situation in a more professional and, and productive way? Yeah, there are uh, many things, you know, one is that you don't rely on financial assets because if you're that wealthy, you don't have so much in, in a bank account. And what you need is rely on invisible assets. You know, I, I teach more invisible as, uh, visible asset because buying real estate, doing well in financial market, you need some capital. And if you don't have that, it takes time to build build one. So instead, you can focus on invisible asset, which is trust, friendship, and also experience and knowledge. And that those things, they cannot be taxed. And also it won't be lost in the crash of the market. So I just, this is, uh, you know, this is sort of a joke, but it has some truth. If you have a friend who let you stay for more than one week and just count how many you have. So if you have more than 50 friends, you can go to your friend number one and ask him to or her to stay for a week. Do that with two, uh, the second friend with the second week. There are only 50 weeks in a year. So if you just come back to uh, your friend after 50 weeks, hey, it's been, uh, it's been a year. How are you? Can I stay with you for a week? And then you can keep going, right? So if you have friends, even though you have, you have no money, you can just still keep going. And uh, a lot of people say, Ken, I don't have 50 friends. So if you have 10 friends who let you stay for a month, it's the same thing. 
So my point is that you can rely on people and friends and the people who care who who care about you. It, it's more reliable than uh, money in the bank account. Like uh, this year, Silicon Valley Bank in, in America, you yeah. know, the account is sun, suddenly frozen and then you cannot withdraw any money. And, you know, it's almost like if you have $200,000 or more, we don't um, give you uh, money back. And then the, there's a big panic in America. So Biden said, okay, okay, wait, wait a second. I'm going to, I'll promise I'll return all the money. And then the panic just stopped. If they didn't do that, it could have been at 1929 once again. You know, there will be a bank run, and that's what's happening in China. So instead of relying on money in the bank account, you should rely on your friends. So it's more important. So just mm. you know, take your friends out for lunch and then become close and, and just stay in touch with your family. I think it's very important. Beautiful. And we understand cycles and seasons. There is a summer where cash and the economy is strong and there is a winter when there's a contraction. Now, it'll happen. It's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow and the sun's not going to come up again. Every single time it happens. And so we know these seasons. And now listening to this, we can prepare. One of the things that I share with my students is how to be excited about it. Because I know that there's going to be scarcity, certainly if you watch TV and, and whatever else. And I think, I know that we don't respond very well when we're in a state of fear. So one of the things that I've spoken to for my students is, okay, well, if and when a recession arrives, because, you know, cycles and seasons are inevitable, be excited about it. And you are mentally prepared. You're prepared now with, you know, a great relationship with your friends, as you mentioned, the real assets. You will always have enough to eat. And on the other side of things, for me as an investor, as a business person, I'm also with but I may say this with love and compassion in my heart for everyone that will go through a difficult time. I'm also very excited because I know that the majority of millionaires and billionaires and companies that have started have also, or maybe not the majority, perhaps let me be specific, a lot of those people and also companies have started during these recessions and these times. What are your thoughts on this being a new beginning and an opportunity for people as well, if and if and when they prepare and they do the right thing. So when you're fired, for example, probably a lot of people will will, will be in a shock, like, "Wow, I lost my job, I I, lo I lost my state income. What I'm going to do?" But when that happens, there's also the equal or more opportunity for you because you can go on your own. You your sky's the limit for your income. So you can start working on your own. So life happens that way. So if you just think of all the tough times for everyone, that means there's a big need for, for something else. So when, when there's a big crash or a big economic financial crisis, there will be also great opportunities for you too. So that's what I've been teaching. You have to uh, improve your, find your gifts, improve your skills for the tough times. Because if you have good skills, people skills, and also some skills, you know, we still are going to eat. We still need a massage. We still need a haircut. We still need something. So if you have good skills, you can survive. So just, it's always half and half. When a bad time, uh, there could be a good time for you too. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Well, for those watching and listening, perhaps this could be a moment to write down your strengths, your gifts, your talents, 
And if such a contraction of the economy is to occur, or we know that it is, but we don't know when, we've got a pretty good idea. I think 24, 25, as you mentioned, Ken, is certainly right on the radar for such a thing. But even when it does occur, and we have taken the moment to, one, prepare, to not respond emotionally, as I say, don't go and sell sell all your crypto and your stocks when it's worth less than you purchased it, unless you have to liquidate to pay you know, bills or whatever. Try and be smart about it. Try and look at it from the aspect of you know, the investor, which is intelligent, equilibrated, and non-emotional. I think this is a really important point. Like, Don't make decisions based on emotions, at least not emotions that are coming from scarcity and fear, because that's, as you know, when you're highly emotional, you don't always respond in the way you'd like. So that's, I think, one thing to to take into consideration. But I'm also interested now, if we then take this moment, perhaps even pause right now, and write down your gifts, your skills, your talents, and how you could add value. And this is, you know, the bigger the problem, the bigger the paycheck. And the more value you can offer to the marketplace, the more you'll get in return. So if we take this this moment, Ken, and, and, and listeners and viewers were to write down their value and, and how we can add that value to the marketplace, do you feel like we'd be more prepared? Do you feel like we could come into this time um, with more opportunity? What are your thoughts in terms of how to find one's worth and how to create value for the marketplace? You know, I cannot predict what's going to happen. But our financial system will be different because we cannot currently hold on to the debt we created globally. So there will be some kind of new system in the next five years or so. But when the new currency comes in, we still circulate the new money was probably digitally, right? So when that happens, you will be living. You know, people will be just living. So... I'm teaching people how to turn your visible asset into invisible asset. For example, instead of having $10,000 in, in your savings, you can say you can treat 1,000 people for lunch and then just buy them $10 uh, lunch. So that's $10,000, right? And then 1,000 people will just uh, remember you as a good person. So if you did that, maybe $10,000 in your bank account doesn't worth much in the next currency. But if you have people's connection with a, a thousand people, that may be worth more. So for example, what I'm doing right now is for Christmas gift and New Year's, sorry, it's in Japanese only, but I have this book in Japanese, you know, what I want you to know about money, six teachings. It's selling like crazy in Japan. So I'm just giving away 8,888 books. Mine. Uh, Whoever wants a copy, sorry, it's in Japanese, you know, and then whoever wants a copy, I give it to you. It's, it's a campaign I'm doing. And so I'm giving, it's going to cost me about $200,000, but it's okay because $2,000 in Visibase right now, but people remember Ken Honda as a good person, whoever gets a copy, right? So I have a good connection with 8,888 people. So in five years, I don't need uh, them to just pay me back anything. But in the next five years or so, when the new economy comes, if they remember okay, Honda, and if my new, new book comes out in a new currency, people might buy, and then I get the money back. So instead of just saving and investing in real estate and others, yeah, I think you should invest in a better customer relationship. Take out your friends for dinner 
and spend your money that, that way or just learn something so it won't be taken away from you. If you have some money, you know, it may not help you as much. So just you might as well spend it in a, a more creative way. Beautiful. And we know that one of the worst investments, you know, we say cash is king, but one of the worst investments, at least in the last, say, five years, has been keeping your money in the bank. Because of the printing and the quantitative easing, the value of the so-called asset, the fiat dollar, has just been going down and down and down, which I'd like to segue into the next question. You know, Nixon took the gold standard off the dollar in 1971. And, and then before this, we had intrinsic value. The fiat dollar, the currency, had value because it had its equal asset in gold. It was tied or connected to gold, and so you could exchange it. Now, Nixon broke the promise, took the gold standard off the dollar, and as such, you know, we, you know, with the Federal Reserve in America, which you know is a privately owned entity, been printing and printing and printing and devaluating the currency over and over again. So I want your thoughts on these two things here, silver and gold as precious metals, what are your thoughts in terms of assets diversifying and, and gold and silver in general or precious metals in general as compared to a fiat currency? So I prefer real gold and real silver. My mentor, Wahid Takeda, built a gold museum on its own because he believes in gold. So he bought a ton of gold personally, and then he made medals for his almost like a hobby. And then just he, he was selling his gold coins. And I have a coll good collection of Wahe's coin with me. And I have personally, I have so much gold already. So if you don't have much cash, I think having silver coins could be a choice if you want to hold on to a visible because it, it's tangible. But the point is that even if it's valued, the value will go up. But if your government wants to tax you, when you are going to sell the gold coins, you could get taxed half of what it's worth. So that means all the appreciation could be taken away from the government. In fact, in 1930s, you can Google, U.S. banned the general public to own a gold. Mm. So that means they had to just you know give out their gold. So it's almost like they confiscated gold. Yeah. Uh, for so. Having gold something as an individual was was a crime at one point. So they can they can do that, especially in North America. I don't think they can do it in Japan. But if you're a US citizen, for example, having a, a lots of gold coin in, in your safe, it may not be the answer. So if I I'd still recommend having gold and silver coins are great, but it can be taxed. So you know you have to think of the tax, even if you have real estate, cryptocurrency, you could be taxed because it may not be as anonymous as you think. Yes, makes sense. And, and in this instance, I think, you know, looking at the precious metals, uh, what do you think? They're going to go up in value, down in value, retain their value? What are your thoughts? I know, not again, financial advice, but, you know, for me, based on my studies, it seems that both gold and silver, the actual asset itself has been suppressed for a very long time. It's kind of like, you know, what is it, $35 US an ounce? probably less. I think that's Australian dollars, actually. What are your thoughts on precious metals and their values uh, into the future? So if cash loses its value, so comparatively, I think the price and the value of gold and silver could go high. So I think it's always good to have tons of assets in that sense. So I, I recommend people to keep those, you know, not just only cash, but once again, I'm just telling uh, you that invisible asset 
would be more important than a visible asset. So having some for just pe- your peace of mind is great, but it may not be the magical sword, you know, to protect you. Because having a peace of mind is could be your protection, but having little gadgets may not. Yeah, I love it. I love holding a little gold coin in my hand and just feeling the abundance while I'm working and so on and so forth. It's a bit of a little little hack for me. Um, yes, just lucky charm, right? Lucky charm, lucky charm, exactly, exactly. And, and just for the fun of it and for the feeling of it, for the happiness of it, for the gratitude of it. You mentioned there will be a change of the economy. And I know we've only got a little bit left of time together, so I want to really get some, um, some pick your brain a little bit more, if I may. And this change of the economy in terms of the money will not be the same in the future. It seems the fiat currency, the old outdated way of doing money, is gone. Web 2 is too slow. Web 3 is coming. Blockchain technology. We've heard a lot lately for those who have been paying attention about the government rollouts of central backed digital currencies versus blockchain or crypto technologies. I should say, what are your thoughts of, of central backed digital currencies and what to potentially keep an eye on or be aware of? So I think, you know, of course there will be money and also digital. And but people will pay less attention to the, the money by itself. Because if an alien just slides over with that and then just figures out what we're doing, they would wonder why just uh, these people on the planet are so preoccupied with this yellow coin, yellow stones, and then they're stuck with the numbers. We used to be like that with pepper and salt, remember, in like, you know, 1300, 1400. And the tea was such a precious commodity. That was the trigger of American Revolution and, and, you know, 1770, you know, some 70s. So it used to be tea, uh, salt, and pepper, and now the money. So right now, not many people know how much gallons, how many uh, liters we spend every month. And then people don't know how much it costs to flush the toilet because it's so less. People think it's irrelevant. By the way, when you flush the toilet, it usually costs about one cent in Western world. And then it, since it's tiny, your parents probably didn't tell you, don't flush your toilet, you know, because it's going to be expensive. They probably talk about with the lights, you know, but not the toilet. So that means when the technology around the fuel and electricity is solved and the food consumption, production and consumption are in good hands, I think we will not uh, worry so much about survival. So in, in a few years, there will be a technology or a better source of electricity and fuel and also the food production. And then human beings will finally find peace of mind for survival. That being said, I think people will lose interest in money. And we will wonder why people in 20th century and the early 21st century mm. uh, were so preoccupied with crypto or, you know, just paper or gold coins and silver coins. There are so many more important things about life. And, and so much energy is being wasted around making money, protecting money, and all that. Like, for example, if you're working on Wall Street, you're just dealing with numbers and all that. And then your life will just be just spent that way. But life can be full of memories. So it's not just... Uh, just think about it. If you if your job is sitting in front of a slot machine, and all you have to do is just keep just pressing the bar, 
And then if you spend 40 years doing it, you may make a lot of money and you end up living in a big house. But if if you just spend your life force energy that way, is that what you really, really, really want to do? You know, there is so many great activities out there. So I think we'll lose interest in money by itself. So if you have enough money in your bank account, what would you do is my question. Mm. And so what preserves more value? And you know, that the whole concept of investing and protecting value is based on survival and also like wanting more and more and more. So don't get stuck in wanting more hell because it could never end. This is very powerful. I love how we can have a conscious conversation about money. And several times, Ken, I've heard you come back to relationships, to what makes you happy, to living a beautiful life, and so on and so forth, to investing in the non-tangible or non-visible assets. I think this is really, really key because at the end of life, well, who knows? You'll look back and maybe one day you'll ask, what was that all about? And why on earth would we want to you know, waste time. You can make money back. Sometimes you can even get health back, or you can never get time back. And so what does that mean as an asset? As really taking care of whatever it means for you to live an extraordinary life. This is really beautiful. I, I, I love that we can land it there. And I've got one last question for you at the end, sir, if I may. Yes. All right. Here's the question. I want you to imagine now you're on the world stage. Everyone Billions of people have come to watch Ken Honda sharing his message to the world. Whenever you're ready, take a breath if you need, and then share what is your message to the world right now, Ken? Okay. So life is for fun. Life is made for enjoying, not for suffering. So we might as well enjoy our time. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, man, I'm smiling from ear to ear. That's perfect. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a privilege to uh, have spent this time with you. I want to say again, Ken, thank you so much for your time. Before we wrap up, take this moment, guys. Happy Money. Look it up. The book, Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money, audiobook, ebook. Check out Ken Honda on uh, Facebook, Ken Honda Happy Money. Also and uh, on Instagram, Happy Ken Honda and so on and so forth. It's kenhonda.com if you want to look up the website. And I want to say thank you again. Is there anything else you want to share before we start wrapping up, Ken? Thank you. This has been my dream doing this in English. I felt so scared to do it, but now I'm enjoying it. So I'm going to do more in the English-speaking world. So if you want to know more about what I'm doing, please visit uh, kenhonda.com. You can find all the information there. You can find out who your money types are, you know, are you a spender? Are you a money maker or what money money warrior? We didn't, we couldn't touch that. So that kind of thing you can figure out. It's lots of free information there, and then you can join my Arigato Living Community. It's an international community um, of studying about happy money together. I teach there once a month. That's a great asset and investment in itself. Ladies and gentlemen, go to the website, check it out, definitely get the book Happy Money. And if this has served you in any way, shape or form, please right now go and share this interview with as many people as you can. You just don't know how far that will go helping others as well. Thank you so much, Ken. We are so grateful Thank for you. your time. We'd love to have you on again in the future. And when you come to Australia, please let us know, mate. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Thank you so much.
Bye for now. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to learn more about how to walk the quantum path into life mastery, business mastery, uh, if you want to learn more about our live events or coaching or anything that we offer, go to www.drespen.com. That's D-R-E-S-P-E-N.com or email info at drespen.com. And let's find out how we can help you take your life, your business and your mission to a whole nother level. We'll see you next time.